Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. We had the absolute pleasure, or I should start by saying I had the absolute pleasure of seeing a movie I've wanted to see for a long time, ever since it won the Audience Award at Sundance, Yes, Dark Horse. We were a tight-knit community, and as most mining communities are, one by one, they've closed down. It was a Thursday. Jan was working. She said, I'm going to breed a racehorse. So I picked the pints up and said, good luck. You start. You know, Hollister, I had been in a slump there, thinking, am I ever going to see another movie? That What's your three criteria that I love? It has to either educate me, engage, engage or entertain. Me, or entertain me. And if it does two of the three, we're very happy. And today I had all three. Yeah. It was definitely a very feel-good documentary. And it was not that long ago, if I had heard something had won at Sundance, I might have turned and run the other way. Really? But lately, I feel like the Audience Award winners have been some very enjoyable movies. Well, the other thing about the problem with audience awards winners at festivals is that you vote at the end of seeing a movie. So if you're an audience member who's only seen one movie at the Mm -hmm. entire festival and you give it five stars, there might have been something that was ten times better. So sometimes it is hard to take those votings pieces too seriously, in my opinion. That is true. Although I do like the populism of the audience awards versus the grand jury prizes. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to start off by saying that I saw Seabiscuit and loved it. Mm-hmm. I saw Secretariat and loved it. Mm-hmm. Okay, this was a documentary, and you could not have gotten better casting in Central Casting. Than the horse? No, forget the horse. <laughs> oh, you mean the characters, uh, the all the characters. Welsh players, oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. But it wasn't... Mm-hmm. It wasn't characters. They were being themselves, mm-hmm. and themselves is so much better than myself. As a human being, as empathetic, and the decisions they made, all of it were just, they were just so spectacular that I'm so glad they didn't make it into a film. I mean, I love Secretary and I love Seabiscuit, but I'm so glad they went with the documentary version on this because it was so much better because the characters, you could not, it, it would have seemed almost, um, I hate to use the word maudlin. Mm-hmm. But it would have seemed staged if you yes. had actually had characters that mirrored the incredible, incredible um, virtues of these people that we got a chance to see and meet on the screen. When I look back now, I don't know how I did it. And here we have Topville, the 20th century thoroughbred horse. These sort of people, they like to keep us commoners out, I think. And I thought this was really a masterclass in taking the classic elements of a documentary and doing it beautifully. So interviews are a major staple of documentary filmmaking. And the interviews they got with the people behind this story were so rich that it's true, so engaging. At the very end, when that one guy says, by the way, I do have teeth, it's just I left okay, it in Now, my what house. they didn't go on to say, which I read somewhere else, by the way, is there's the, the, the husband of the woman who started the whole thing. He doesn't have teeth, and it's very entertaining when he's sitting there at these uh, races. And I read somewhere that they then went on to ask him, well, why don't you ever wear your teeth? Uh-huh. And his answer was, they turn green, and I don't know how to fix that. 
So, um, but anyway, he doesn't need teeth. He doesn't you know, need he teeth. loves himself just the way he is. Mm-hmm. And each of them were—they were all very articulate. Yes. At being able to tell us individually what this horse meant to them and why, mm-hmm. and what this horse brought into their lives, and it was very different from person to person. Yeah. But what was totally consistent from all of them was their commitment to this horse. And to the quote-unquote syndicate, the group of people who pooled their 10 pounds per week. 30 people, 10 pounds per week. And got behind this dream. We put a sign up on the wall. Anybody wants to join a syndicate of resource ownership, speak to Jan. I don't have to put horses. I don't. The syndicate came together for one simple reason. They wanted to see if it could work. It was so great seeing a town pull together because you're rooting not just for the horse, but for this town, which was really a depressed coal mine town depressed in Wales. Is one way to put it, yeah. You know, and yet these people knew how to dream and dream big. Yeah. I mean, naming the horse Dream Alliance. John said, we're all an alliance. This is our dream. We name it Dream Alliance. Dream Alliance! Perfect to hear them cheering, go dream, go yeah, dream. Yeah, I'm not sure they all believed at the beginning. I think they just wanted to be part of it because it would be fun. Mm-hmm. And they thought, 10 pounds a week, I'll do it. You know, so, but also the fact that you can, as they pointed out, you know, there's there's people from the Middle East who pay billions of dollars mm-hmm. to try to raise these horses that win. And their horse won, and it basically cost them $18,000 a year, you know. And yes, it, it's almost as though Mrs. Patmore and Lady Mary yeah, decided exactly. to have a competition or Billy Elliot as a horse. Yeah. It was really neat to see them upend this social structure. The woman behind it, she had bred pigeons and whippets and thought, well, the same principles can be applied to horses, even though it is this exclusive milieu of people that do it. And I thought that was fabulous. The most important point was that um, at one point the horse gets hurt mm-hmm. and they have a choice to make and the choice is going to cost about $36,000. And one of the women says, well, he won a bunch of winnings and he's part of the, he's part of the alliance also, the horse. We're uh-huh. talking about the horse now. And um, he's part of the alliance and that's his money. So we decided, of course, we should spend that on him. And all I could think of is I, you know, my daughter rode as a, as a child and um, and I know many families who spent, you know, in the seven figures for for um, wow yeah for a horse, and they would never have spent a dime of the horse's winnings to save the horse. They would have collected wow. the insurance money. You know, the the commitment to the horse was as big as the horse's commitment to the team. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is their sense of pride was humbly brilliant. You know, mm-hmm. they were humble with what they've done, but they didn't shy away from the fact that they'd done it. They didn't, no one once said we were lucky. No yeah. one. Mm-hmm. No one once pinned the success that they were able to have against an establishment that for the last 700 years has owned this space yep. of wealthy aristocratic people, not people who, you know, were able to breed a horse on a, on a dime. They never once didn't own their success. They were happy to wear it, own it, and humbly accept it with pride and pleasure. And I thought it was so odd that no one said we were really lucky. No one. Well, I got to tell you, I was a little proud that the horse's father was an American. Because, you know, when they said they had to go with what they could afford, and the mare, the mother of Dream Alliance, when they said that that was the kind of horse that would rather run into a brick wall than jump over it, 
the origins of this story are so unlikely. You yeah. really you can't help yeah. but root for Dream Alliance. Well, you know, you know, when you go in, everybody knows a little bit of the story because all you have to do is watch. You know, anybody who's watched the trailer can see that the horse did very well and it was a huge success, and all of that's true. It also it doesn't say there, but it only ran in thirty races in the whole history of the horse, which is not a lot over a period of eight years. You know, so. Um, it didn't run that many races. They waited a long time in between for things to happen. Mm-hmm. And talk about patience. Patience comes from mining every day and going in there and having 10 hours feel like 84 hours. And there's no impatience in any of them. They weren't impatient in front of the camera. They weren't impatient about the horse. Oh, it'll take 16 months for him to recuperate. That's fine. And if he can't race, he can just come home and live happily ever after here. Mm-hmm. You know, there are so many lessons. Patience pride without luck I Mm -hmm. love that I love that where else can you know where else can you see that so I'm so glad they did it as a documentary I'm so glad we really get to meet the people involved in this it was such a gift very inspiring and you mentioned the horse's injury I thought this story the editing was so beautifully done because it unfolded according to classic screenplay structure where they say act two, you always have to have a literal or figurative death where your character has been pursuing a dream and faces an obstacle so big you don't know if they can overcome it. And here the horse got injured. And tell me this, Hollister, because you have so much more experience with horses. I never thought about this. If a horse in front of you misses a hurdle, I never thought about that hurdle could be coming right at the horse behind it. And in this, Dream Alliance suffered his tendon. Well, he severed his own tendon. His back mm-hmm. hoof sliced into the front hoof. I mean, that sounded so incredibly yeah, painful. And I yeah. was stunned to hear that there was stem cell research that existed where that horse went through rehab and was the first horse to ever come back from a stem cell surgery and win a major race. Right. Well, I can tell you that, like, my daughter's, one of her top horses that she rode, it had chiro- a chiro- chiropractor every week. Really? Yeah. And the chiropractor would come in and he would sort of run his hand down the spine of the horse and the horse would wiggle into it or wiggle away from it. I don't really know what he was doing. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I thought, uh, wow. You know, I mean, people spend a lot of time and money and care in keeping these horses at the top of their form because it's a very dangerous sport. By the way, you know, one of the things they were doing is steeplechase. Yes. And you were talking about how, you know, they go over the, they go over the, the thing in front of you. That's very, 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 very dangerous. Mm-hmm. People don't come out, you know. I had never seen... Much more f- dangerous than any other kind of horse. Yeah. I really had never seen footage like that in a movie before where when they're showing the steeplechase and they said, you're putting your own life at risk. Oh, my God, when, totally. There was that footage of the jockeys being flung off the horses and the horses falling and you're about to get stampeded or trampled on. I had no idea it was that dangerous. Yeah, it's... Oh, um, Jockeys have many broken bones, and their bodies take huge, huge, huge heat. Do you know one of my favorite scenes? Wait, don't tell me. Let me guess. Okay, yeah. Um, You're going to get it. I don't know. It was when the townspeople all boarded that little van, and they were going to the first big race together. And there was that man who had packed his own lunch, and they didn't want to let it through security. And he looked at them, and he showed them his badge, and he said, I'm an owner. And they let the lunch in, and they let him in, and he wasn't going to pay the steep prices they were charging at those concession stands. I thought it, it was a great story. Well, you know what they didn't show much of is the English response to their success. That's very true. You know, and it was funny. They showed a few headlines where the article was like, 
slum dog, slum horse millionaire. <laughs> right. You know, that, which, by the way, I don't think is honorable, and I don't mm-hmm. think that's prideful, and I don't think that was okay. I think it's, I think it's sarcastic. I think it's, I, I think it's not okay. And I, you know, the one thing that was missing from that film was interviewing the other owners to say, how did you feel when this horse came up that way? There's not one owner interviewed, and that is the one flaw in this movie, is we need to see a little bit of how these other owners who spend millions and millions of dollars, how they felt when this horse came from nowhere to do this. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. I know, because, because right? Well, I mean, then I thought you are just inviting sour grapes or something. No, know? but I think that they should have had the opportunity to say, look... You know, I give them every single, you know, in a way we were all great. We were all glad that they were able to do this. Something generous mm-hmm. would have been nice to ha- hear coming from their mouths. And I have a feeling there wasn't much. It's, that's very interesting. You know, the yeah. last sports documentary we reviewed. Yeah, it was the, um, the basketball. Yes, Lynn Sanity. Yeah. And what was the last PG movie we reviewed? I'm not even sure what made this PG. Was there a full birth that kept it from being a G movie? No, I don't know. Mm. Also, it's so funny, when a horse, uh, you know, is born, the fact that they only knew it was born because they had footage, like they had a camera in the stall, mm-hmm. um, normally there are 10 people standing around there and six doctors and vets and all these people to ensure the birth goes perfectly, and it was oh. so nice to see the the calm with which that mare got to give birth. It was really beautiful. This story was told very well because this is not a documentary that's being documented as the events are right. unfolding. So it's one of those where they had to tell the story going forward, even though everything's already happened. Now you think they the reshot some scenes. There were definitely scenes that were recreations, but done in a, a very elegant way. Oh my God, way really well done. That can be a, a turnoff in, yeah. in some documentaries, you know. Well, and even recreating the meetings, I don't think they filmed the meetings. That the right. Alliance had, and they right. show that. So I figured those were refilmed for sure. Now, should it have said that? Recreated footage or something? Well, I felt like you had the same players. I don't feel like they were trying to pull the wool over our eyes in any way. What was very interesting is that it was like watching a sports performance where I found it very gripping because I really did not know what the outcome was going to be. Oh, you didn't? I did. I, I really didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I knew that the horse would have some success. But I didn't know what the final race, success, yeah, how yeah. much success. Yeah. Or, and I certainly did not know about the huge injury that horse yeah. overcame, where yeah. they said that horse really, anybody else would have put the horse down. Yeah. But I loved that they loved that horse so much. They said, no, we don't care if he ever races again. We just want him to feel good. Yeah, we want him to enjoy his quality of yes. life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he still is alive, by the way, and happily eating grass somewhere. <laughs> All the ailments that, that the horse has, I imagine, would mean that he can't be breeding, they can't be breeding him. Yeah, he's got this problem with his blood vessels. Mm-hmm. I, I would imagine that's a deal breaker for breeding. Right. You can't afford that. You know, it has to be a clean bill of health to be worth any money as a breeder. You know, so. and that was interesting when Janet, the woman who was the barmaid and worked in a supermarket, who was really who cleaned just cleaned a supermarket, cleaned a supermarket, and really the brains and the engine behind this whole operation. When she was saying that people said it was not a thoroughbred, he didn't look totally thoroughbred. He had a thoroughbred face, but his Hindquarters were quarter horse-ish. I felt like so. he definitely had street creds. Yeah. Where, you know, well, the, the other thing is, kid makes all right, here, but here's what's interesting, too. So the trainers, are, you know, they trained for the big guys. Mm-hmm. And they took this horse in, charged him a normal amount. And at the end, this trainer is close to tears, saying mm-hmm. that he was so proud to be part of this success story. 
but in a way that I don't know that he felt for other horses that he was training, yeah. you know. I mean, it was really a moment when everybody got to celebrate because everybody was truly a part and parcel of the whole thing. It was really beautiful. This big chap with tattoos everywhere said, we've got a horse to have in training. He was a working class horse that was about to take on the likes of the best. He was now mixing it with the big time. He looked classy. 40 horses and you got eyes for one. Come on, Dream. Come on, Dream. Come on, Dream. The beginning of the documentary is a slow burn, but I found myself weepy towards the end. Oh there, my God, I was sobbing. You're so moved. Yeah. Yes, I, I was crying a lot. In fact, I was going to offer you a tissue, and I thought, no, she doesn't like to move during the film. But um, now, also, you know, Miss O'Toole over there reads the creds. Of, of course. Okay, I mean, and I, you pointed out a couple. You got to point out to the audience. I mean, bookmakers had a credit. Dream Alliance had a credit playing himself. They had for the recreations which horses played the younger Dream Alliance. Fabulous listing of who was involved in this production. Yeah, I, I like the bookmakers the best. Yeah, very, very good. Very, very good. And Louise Osmond directed it. She has 18 directing credits. She's made a lot of documentaries, including the 2006 documentary Deep Water, about the doomed 1968 around the world yacht race. Huh. We are all human beings, and we have dreams. This was something that a human hadn't yet attempted to do. First of all, we didn't know if a boat could take it. Secondly, there was considerable doubt if a human could take it. This was a classic tale of English daring-do, homegrown British hero. If Don went forward, he was committing suicide. If he came back, he was ruined. Now, Sony picked this up at Sundance. Good for them. That's... Okay, but I don't think it's getting a huge reach. you mm. got to call your local theater. <laughs> if you have a local theater that's not like a big, you know, aplex, call in and say you want to have this film. It's a film you should go to with your whole family, with your children. It's just, it's phenomenal. Doesn't it make you want to get involved in a communal project? Like, if we pooled 10 pounds a week each, we, uh, to we be honest, surely it makes we could me do want something. To leave my country, but <laughs> other than that, no. Thank you very much. Uh, but Hollister, what is it about horses where you see a leather saddle being mounted on a horse and brushing the horse's mane and the sound of the hooves and watching them run? It is so majestic. Well, I think, you know, having ridden and showed and jumped horses, right, and having owned a number of horses... There's a, a segment in the middle of the horse whisperer where she's doing her research on this guy who's a horse whisperer, meaning he can communicate with horses in a way that helps, as he says, fix the problems that, that humans have with them, not the problems they have with humans. Based on the real life man, Buck. Yes, on my exactly. list of favorite documentaries. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. a good documentary. There's no other sport where you commune with an animal in a nonverbal way. That's interesting. And you're when you get on that horse, when you really are connected to your horse, I had a, a horse, um, Beach Boy. and <laughs> Did you name him? No, I didn't. He came with that name. He was a Palomino, and he was a quarter horse, not a thoroughbred. So when I showed him in the Hamptons, he, it was, you know, he wasn't going to win for how great he looked. He was going to win, you know, in equitation, meaning how good I looked on him. But, you know, if I used a certain leg on him, he knew what that meant. Or he knew if I got afraid or, you know, in other words... 
there's a communication that takes place between the man and the horse that is that there's a five minute segment in the horse whisper that's worth going and, and watching if you if you've got the film anywhere around because it talks about since the beginning of time horses have had a very very um, difficult relationship with humans because we always overtook them we always took them away we took the wild out of them we we've always tried to tame them and in the end oh. we never have been able to because the truth is any horse will flee if in that moment he needs to you know it doesn't matter how well trained they are mm-hmm. they're they're they they they're they're when when fear hits them they they have flight that's what they do they don't fight they 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 run they're born to run yeah mm-hmm. and so we they've been much better to us than we have been to them you know mm-hmm. so but for me when i would get on my horse i remember one time i was riding into the field for my lesson i wasn't a very good rider and my trainer, who was a very serious trainer, I mean, mega trainer, right? I went into, we was seven o'clock in the morning. I don't remember why I was there so early. And I said, oh my God, look at the field. It's seven o'clock in the morning. It's so beautiful. And she said, Ann Espinal, she's very famous in the Hamptons for being one of the great trainers. She said, you're not good enough to look at how beautiful it is. <laughs> Pay attention to your horse. Wow. You know, there is this moment where you recognize you have to constantly be communicating with your horse if you want to be the best you can be. And have them be the best they can be. But there's no other sport where you're as dependent on the ho- on the other, even player, as you are on a horse, you know. And it's dangerous. So, you know, you miss a jump, and they go crashing through the jump. So then do you, you know. So, wow. yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing sport. And I think they're amazing animals. I've loved them since I've been a small child. Now, have I ever told you my story of the most thorough, thorough, pretty horses I ever came into contact with? No. Yeah. A while ago, I was at a film festival in Ireland, and I met a fabulous filmmaker from Scotland who said, if you're ever in Scotland, give me a call. So a few years ago, a friend and I were back in Scotland, and I gave him a call, and he met us. And he said, you know, my sister does not work far from here. Do you mind if we just swing by and say hello? And I was like, I'd love to. We're driving to his sister's workplace, and it's getting fancier and fancier, and all of a sudden I see some very royal-looking gates with HRH on them. And I turned to Ronnie, and I said where did you say your sister works? He goes, Balmoral Castle. And I was like, like the Queen's Castle? And he goes, yeah. And I said, what does she do? And he said she breeds the Queen's horses. And I thought that sounds like a very important job because you know how Queen Elizabeth loves her animals. So we showed up and she gave us a tour of the stables. And I asked her, I said, well, who names the horses? And she said she gives them the provisional names when they're born. And then when the Queen is in residence, she renames the horses. So she's introducing me to the Queen's stable. And she says, you know, this horse is Misty, this horse is, you know, yada, yada. And I said, excuse me, Queen Elizabeth named her horse Misty? I mean, I don't know what I thought she was going to name the horse, but it was um, somehow endearing that even Queen Elizabeth gives her horses Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, so, um, and they seem to all have a relationship with the horse, and they owed the horse, and they just felt like it was a family. Mm -hmm. And I loved how Jan's husband believed that horse totally understood him. Yes. I had trouble understanding him. I can tell you right now. I mean, it's just, you know, but what you believe is so. You know, reality is has nothing to do with reality. is everything to do with perception. Mm-hmm. So I just, I would highly recommend getting that family to this film wherever it is in the country and make sure you see it and learn the wonderful lessons that these amazing people have to teach us. And I'm, I'm just drawn to any story where you get to root for the underdog. Yep. Underdog, yay! He always made me feel somebody else for the day. I wasn't Janet the cleaner anymore. I was Janet the racehorse owner. 
It's elation when you can do something, particularly when no one gives you a chance. Okay, now also, did you see that Sully is coming out, the Tom Hanks movie? I, I don't know if I can do this one. That. Yeah, did you see the, it, the trailer's weird. out, by the way? Have they already made a documentary about Sullenberger? I don't know. Oh, I think it was, A Miracle on the Hudson. Okay, and by the way, Tom Hanks is not the guy who should be playing this. Why does he get... Who, who's, who's directing this? Who directed Sully? Clint Eastwood. Well, no wonder. But no offense, if you look at, if you look at Sullenberger, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you look at Tom Hanks, no way. Jeff Daniels should have played it. That's interesting. See, that's something that I think really just... The documentary suffices. I don't need to see yeah. a narrative film okay, about we might an skip amazing that, thing. You know. Okay, the second Although, thing is... you know what's funny is when you think about where he landed on the Hudson, that's a second miracle on 34th Street. Uh, it's oh, like the sequel. Yeah. Okay, now the other thing is, you, who is the knower of all movies and has seen all of them, especially around people you really love, Mark um, Ruffalo... Yes. I saw a movie with him yesterday that I wrote a review of that's up on our website. Um, thanks for sharing... I saw your review, Hollister, oh my and God. I completely missed this movie when it came out a couple years ago. How is that ago. possible? I, don't, I missed the song where you said it already had 23 Isn't million plays on YouTube, Hero. Yep. I missed the whole thing. Okay, well, go look at the review, and you can buy it on iTunes. I don't think it's anywhere else, I'm sorry to say. Look, it's not in Hulu. Isn't that funny? They name it Thanks for Sharing, and they don't put it out on the big distribution Well, it's channels. actually about the 12-step program, but I think it's a really great, important film. But it's not, you know, it has Gwyneth Paltrow, who, you know, I did mention in my review that... I, I don't know, whenever I'm around Gwyneth Paltrow's name, I become that mean girl from sixth grade. Like, I just don't like her, and I can't wait to say mean things about her, and it's not nice, and I have no reason to say that. I'm per, I'm perfectly positive she's a lovely person. Well, Halser, thanks for sharing. Okay, but I... Yeah, you're welcome, but I'm telling you, I love her. But she's very good in this film. And then also, of course, Tim Robbins. Wow. Best, 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 best. Now, they play a group of sex addicts. Is that their addiction? Uh, well, she, no. Gwyneth Paltrow's not a sex addict. She starts dating one. Oh. Yeah, read the review. So that's Mark Ruffalo. Right, okay. exactly. But so if you haven't seen it, thanks for sharing. You know, it's really, really good. And I'm surprised it has so many famous people in it. And I'm surprised that nobody nobody's talked about it. It... The weekend it launched, it only took in $500,000, and they basically took it off the market, and then we launched it again recently, so... Uh, Well, you know, I flew on Iceland to air this week, and I had my own little personal TV console, and I'd already seen everything on there. So I'm sure you were not surprised that instead of rewatching the movie Spotlight, I tried to find something I hadn't yet seen. They had an Icelandic series called Retour, which translates, I guess, just as case, a case that the police are trying to solve. You know, I'm a little obsessed with Iceland because they only have 300,000 people, but they get a lot done in terms of Olympians and Nobel Prize winners and TV creators. I found the series very gripping. It's dark. It takes What's place... What's the name of it? It's called Case. The original title is Retur, R-E with an accent mark, T-T-U-R. Definitely... Is it subtitled? Um, it is subtitled, and it takes place in the underbelly of Reykjavik with sex mm. trafficking and drug addicts. Mm. But the acting was very impressive. You definitely feel transported to another world. You don't feel like you're watching a TV show. You feel like you're in that world. Mm. And luckily, can leave it when well, the plane lands. That's a good recommendation then. And then mm. I did go see The Shallows, and that review's going up this week. Great. Yes. And, you know, I that Blake Lively, see, she's, you know... And I talk about her versus Gwyneth in my oh, review of The Shallows. Yeah, because 
you know, they both have the same legs, but <laughs> somehow Blake, you know, I'm happy she has those legs. Are Do you know what I mean? Are livelier? <laughs> oh, you're so clever. <laughs> in the movie Castaway, Tom Hanks has his ball Wilson, and in this movie, she has a live um, seagull, oh. who she ended up naming Steven Seagull. Get it? Uh, Steven Seagull. Get it? Oh, is it a she's martial so arts bird? Anyway, trained seagull. Um but, by the way, I like this better than watching Castaway, you know, while he's dancing around like a fool on the beach, you know, trying to build a fire. You know, she at least has the grace to be incredibly stunning as she outwits these, you know, white sharks. So, yeah. I haven't seen it. I'll have to check it out. It also makes you, and I wrote, I wrote this too, it makes you really respect Jaws so much more. Because yeah. Jaws, you know, was able to create tension in a most brilliant way. The music... For sure, mm-hmm. you know. So if you if you compare what made Jaws Jaws, and you do music for Jaws, music for Shallow, music for Shallow gets a one, Jaws gets a ten. Spielberg held the scene like the facial expression when she's being dragged under in Jaws three or four times. You're watching her, you never see the shark, and and they he he moves the camera too swiftly, so you don't really get to feel the terror. It's it's too quick moving. He needs to slow it down. And it just it shows you the brilliance of Spielberg in putting together a movie like that. That's for sure. So it's worth seeing. Definitely worth seeing if you have nothing else to do this weekend and you can't find Dark Horse. Well, one last thing about Dark Horse that I read. Did you see where the villagers have a new foal? No. And they've named this foal Impossible Dream. Okay. The sequel awaits us. Okay. Yes. Well, you know what? Best of luck to them. 